0: Hello, hello, this is St. Hung with Navigating Business, a business podcast for the underserved entrepreneurs nationwide in the USA. This program is brought by the Community Navigator Pilot Program, a collaboration between the US PAC, United States Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce, and the US Small Business Administration. Here, we aim to inspire, educate, and encourage entrepreneurship. We want to highlight the wins, the losses, The Highs and Lows, the Trials and Tribulations for Small Business Owners Nationwide. Today, it is my pleasure to feature Mr. Kuale. I see you're the CEO and founder of Live Picture Studios, K-Vibe Studios, and Sutudu, all based in Jersey City, New Jersey.
1: (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Saint. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is a lot of Great. businesses. Tell yeah. us and the viewers about these businesses. You're quite the serial entrepreneur. Yeah.
1: Serial entrepreneur. I started my entrepreneurship when I was 19 and I'm 42 at the moment and really simple. i 42. I'm 42.
0: 1980 was a good year, right? Yeah. <laughs> they made both of us, so Wow.
1: I come from uh, the slums of Jersey City at the time. And I wanted to figure out some sort of way to create some financial freedom okay. and control in my life without worrying about a big boss hovering over me. Okay. And so I didn't, but I'm in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. and I wanted to do what I love to do. And I didn't get into financials or anything like that, like that. And so getting into the music industry failed my businesses over there. Great. Okay. <laughs> Got into the film industry and created successes over that, with that. And that's how we kind of got into so the, the business that we have is all about they were really short term strategies to lead into the long term strategies. Okay. So live pitch Do is the wedding company. We went doing from twelve weddings a year to five hundred a year at the moment. Wow. And now we are in the place even, of, even, still, even still, even right now. Still running. It's ten years strong. Wow. When we just signed a contract to start franchising the company. Okay. So we're going to be in 38 states, it's hopefully, exciting. Yeah, going through the FDD legal process and everything else. And then the K-Vibe Studio side of things, that's always been present. That started as the music company, that transformed into the film company. And K-Vibe Studios has been the, the company that does all the commercial, the corporate and the film and TV work. So wow. did my first movie with Walt Before Mickey, Vanilla Ice, Jose Feliciano. And now the latest movie that's coming up would be Bezos. And then the last one, Satudu, that's Mm -hmm. my baby. We call it picture freedom because it's about picture your life with freedom. Whether that's financial, whether that's finding your passion, whether it's literally in films and trying to find freedom in making your movies and stuff. The idea of Satudu was strictly to be Web3. It's a Web3 company.
0: Okay. So that said, uh, crypto, Web3, Internet of Things...
1: NFTs. Yep. It's an NFT marketplace on the Polygon chain. Okay. And we provide, it's kind of like, like OpenSea on steroids, except that it has way more capabilities for smart contracts. So I don't want to go too technical, but we have a sell split NFT technology. Basically, you and I could sell an NFT together and mm-hmm. then other partners could sell NFTs together. Uh, upon the sell, we split at the exact same time.
0: Really? So it triggers and it distributes to our, was, it, our wallets separately? Separately. That is amazing. And then,
1: <laughs> phase, right? and then the royalties could do the same thing, up to 100 wallets. Okay. You could put a royalty and you split all the royalties. So upon the transaction in the secondary cell, it was split the royalties to all the wallets.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So you guarantee recurring income and there's not that possibility of Legal risk later on, ten yeah. years down the line. Financially, once yeah. a movie or a song is made, one everything's done, and it's that's just the way it. You is. got that's it. It. That's it. You got it. You got the I idea. See the <laughs> you got it. There, yeah, there you yeah.
1: Go. yeah, You know what? People, I I used have to explain what what's the point of it, and I had to usually go down that rabbit hole of mm-hmm. the music industry, the licensing, the film industries, and syncing, and the financial friction, the partnerships. And yep. Yep. Any secret businesses that are brewing up that you haven't mentioned yet? You know what? I mean, we're in the 8,000 square foot studio. We were planning to use the studio as the leverage to get people into events, the givebacks and everything else. And obviously, I'm, uh, I do a lot of volunteer work. And so one of it is the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> so, uh, but US the back. Northeast Division northeast, exactly. the president, That's right? exactly right. How did you get into that? Just like any entrepreneur that's looking to get their feet wet into business in 2014, I was just looking for like-minded people. I had once for a small fastest growing business in Hudson County, New Jersey, because we grew our wedding business from zero to a half a million dollars within a year. And that allowed us to, USPAC to find us. And I saw all these Asian people. It's like, whoa, there's a lot of Asian businesses out here. And this, to me, it was really, really new. Mm -hmm. And I said, how do I be a part of it? I became a member and I said, you know what? I want to be more involved. And so I got involved and then later on I got asked to be on the board member. And then the president of the chapter had left. And then Susan Allen, the president of the national side, asked me mm-hmm. personally, Qua, do you want to be the president for the chapter? And I said, Northeast chapter. And I said no in the beginning. And he goes, Really? I did say no. She
0: accepts no. I'm mean, <laughs> the president now. So obviously Mrs. Allen didn't take no for an answer. Well, right? she,
1: she, I had a lot of things going on. I had okay. At the time, I was running two businesses, and mm-hmm. we were still trying to get our feet in there. I'm, we're still a small business that pivoted to multiple businesses. But yeah. she told me this. She goes, Qua, I'm going to leave you with this before you make a decision. Money could buy you a lot of different things, but it cannot buy you respect.
0: Oh, wow. That's wisdom right that there. That was wisdom right there. Yeah. It says yeah. you could
1: you could do anything you want, Qua, with money. But you know what? You would never gain the respect that you could gain with money. So okay. If you do it right, you will earn the respect from your peers. Oh, I can see that.
0: I've been to some of these nonprofit engagements, these activities that mm-hmm. USPAC has brought about. Yeah. I've got team members going to the innovation symposium that's coming up. Let's get back to you, Qua. What about your background? You mentioned that you grew up in the slums of Jersey City. Yeah, I spent a decade <laughs> here myself, Jersey City. So I know the community, how it is now. How mm-hmm. was
1: it? 20, 30 years ago. Oh, my God. First, I'm a refugee immigrant from Vietnam. Okay. Born in Thailand. Parents came here with nothing because of communism. And uh, we started from scratch. And for me, my world was in Jersey City. It's not like we had the opportunity to travel outside the States. Mm -hmm. I thought New Jersey was that city. That was it. That was it. That was your world. That was my world. I saw New Jersey City, and then I see TV. Mm -hmm. The TV would show me these things. that, But I barely watched TV when I was a kid, too. Okay, so I was like in this little bubble, man. I hear that, and I had similar experiences, going through
0: uh, streets of Queens, uh, Main Street, Flushing, mm-hmm. Maple Avenue, Casino Boulevard, just walking around back then. There were not very many Asian people. No. Nowadays, Flushing Queens is the largest uh, Asian community in New York, but back then, early
1: to mid '80s. Yeah, and then I had to put my money in my shoe all the time because. Of- Every other day, you get mugged. I mean, mm-hmm. not mud, they just run your pockets. Yeah. Right? And yeah, you get shaken down. My brother used to go to the school and he used to bring a machete to school. And really? then I ended up, when I went to school, I'm, I'm seven years younger, I used to bring darts. Mm-hmm. Right? And I would just, as my way to protect myself, not bring a knife, but bring darts because they were small. Yep. Just in case anything happens. But that, that, was, is, that is crazy. That was
0: insane. You know, you, you're just bringing back many
1: real flashbacks
0: of the 80s, which is a long time ago. Yep. And it's, it's really strange. I've recently gotten similar flashbacks in this post pandemic or especially when the pandemic was really new. That's right. And the violence against the AAPI community in some cities went up by like 30,000 percent, like 300x the incidents. And even New York City right now, the incidents against Asian Americans is
1: at an all time high. Pretty insane. But- Do you think that's worse than it was back then though? Just as bad, I think I don't think it's as bad as back then. I think once the rhetoric
0: about China virus and Kung flu became very, very mainstream mm. for a short window of time, call it six months to a year, it was really bad and it went unchecked. And then the community had to push back. We needed to raise awareness. There needed to be stop Asian hate. And then it's been a little more regulated because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And once the AAPI community spoke out and stood up and said, no, we don't want to stand for this, less things happen. Kwa, you yourself, as a child, and
1: adolescent growing up in New Mm -hmm. Jersey, how did you overcome it? You know what? I overcame it with getting into passionate things that I wanted to do. And for me, I was lucky to find baseball as Mm -hmm. my lucky passion, right? And music. Okay, being a pianist and then becoming trying to get into production. I think what made me realize even more was that at 19 years old, that I could start a business mm-hmm. and that I could have an opportunity to create change. Okay, when I knew that I could do that, then I saw that there was no ceiling for me. It was mm-hmm. a matter of being educated in the business world, and then who is going to help me <laughs> get me to the next stage besides myself? There was no Google at that time for me no yeah not not google there's no youtube tutorials or anything like that so you're kind of out there kind of on your own figuring it out and then it's like the blind leading the blind i'm in i'm in the slums in new jersey in jersey city Mm -hmm. and am i asking help from somebody else that never built a business (laughs) you know you've got to figure it out yourself yourself. and so it's a lot of opportunity when we were just coming up there was
0: no google i mean i barely graduated high school and it was still america online and (laughs) 14.4k modems there was no youtube there were no tutorials there was no one two three paint by numbers thing on starting a business yep not in the mid to late 90s not at
1: all so now what's different even though there's the opportunities are there Mm -hmm. there's a lot of misinformation out there too oh you're absolutely right there's information overload for sure and there's you know i don't want my kids to grow up they're saying that oh i could just start a business i could be successful in six months no, 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 slow down there. Yeah, you, you, got, you got a lot of people learning to do. You got to learn how to go through business ethics and you got to go through the grind and you got to start failing. So I, I always say like people that see, have whatever success I have today, I said, don't judge me on that. Judge me from when I started. Judge me from how I picked myself back up Mm-hmm. And went through the the, the kicking you, know, you when you're down, yeah, you're kicking when yeah, you're right, down, yeah, 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 right, exactly that. And I still feel like that way, even at the stage I'm at th- at the moment, you know. And which is the reason why we are building Satudu. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally hear that about information
0: overload on the other side. Mm-hmm. When we were growing up and just finding our way, yep. there was no roadmap. Was. And to be fair, the challenges today to the millennials and the Zoomers is that there is too much information. Mm -hmm. And there's too much illusion. I would say that social media just is a construct to let you only see the good sides. Everybody only wants to show their good sides. You've got that whole Dan Bilzerian type of billionaire bro culture, trust fund culture. And it's like, oh, you've got the Kardashians and that's the result. That's it. Right. And you just only see people that are successful. You don't see, oh, look, the original Kardashian father, the father to the Kardashians, was a lawyer. He was OJ Simpson's lawyer. He worked, you know, a legal career his whole life and built up a lot of wealth. And I think there was a divorce, and then and then they kept a bunch of the money. Right. Right? But that was a whole lifetime of work. You have at least 20 years of work behind you. I've got 20 plus years of work behind myself. And everybody just looks wants to look at, oh, this person's successful. Right. That means if I work hard for six months. You know what? I'll give it a solid year. Yeah. Then I should be just as successful as those guys. Right. And I'm like, hey, that's an illusion. That's just people showing you what they want to see. That's right. For the first 19 years <laughs> yeah. of me running Universal Processing, nobody wanted my opinion. Yeah. I didn't even want to come out and give an opinion because yeah. I was busy head down yeah. worrying about... This is COVID. What are we gonna do? do? Yeah. Yeah. What? How are we gonna survive? I've got employees. They've got families. I've got a family. Yeah. What am I gonna do? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that. there's there's a lot of that. Exactly that. And so the business that we did, it wasn't about like just trying to build selfish wealth here. It, mm-hmm. it is about building communities, and and it's the reason why I am part of the US Pack and part of the whole CNPP program and stuff, and want to volunteer my time because now we want to make sure people are asking for that help and we wanted to be able to deliver that help right
0: yep yep yes there is infrastructure that's exactly what the community navigator pilot program is there to do that's right we're trying to introduce them to to resources we're trying to connect aapi or any underserved business to the u.s federal government and that big multi-billion dollar war chest that was built from the uh the american rescue act originally we do well they're providing a service for free but they're being funded by, funded the, SBA. by the Small so the, Business Administration exactly, to right. go out there and give their business expertise, provide their business services. Although it's free of charge, mm-hmm. it's costing the government money. money but the government 100%. is keeping tabs to make sure that these professionals are executing and carrying out this community empowerment well said, that, Exactly. That. Yep. You know, and
1: I, I wish that I was 19 years old or where it is at that time. Having that type of infrastructure. Hey, you know, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Ever
0: since the pandemic, there have been so many grants that are, they start at maybe 10,000, they go up to 100,000. There's many of them that are 50,000 per Mm -hmm. grant that nationwide businesses, Uber, for example, did its thing. I think some of the main banks have done their thing as well. Grubhub had a Mm -hmm. neighborhood empowerment initiative as well. And this is in conjunction, kind of as a donation to supplement the government. And some of my business owners through the CNPP have enjoyed additional grants but taking it back like yeah in our teens and 20s we could definitely
1: have used an extra 10 or 50 or hundred
0: thousand dollars. that would have changed our entire lives that's
1: that's exactly that and so we want to make sure that business owners that are afraid to speak up Mm -hmm. to get them to speak up and ask for help because it's there now absolutely it's There. there we have an email contact
0: right yeah, we here did. it's a it's podcast at uspack.com US Yep. And the listeners, the viewers out there, if they want to reach out or have some general questions, well, send it over. Comments, hey, yeah. just let us know we're doing a good job. Let us know what you'd like to learn about and we'll Either answer your email directly, or we'll direct you to the proper
1: resources. Or go straight back to the website, uspac.com. And yep, and, www.uspac.com yep. or yep. podcast at uspac.com. Let me ask you something. You've been in that business for a long time now. And what are the trials and tribulations that's going on at the moment? What is it that these underserved businesses need help with? Wow. <laughs> the interviewee is now turning the tables. I was gonna ask you that question. The trials and tribulations that
0: businesses are going through right now, especially especially because I have a lot of exposure with the AAPI community, AAPI business owners, I'd say about 85% of the client base that uh, Universal deals with are Asian business owners. Their main thing is hiring. And I think it's really, as a small business, It's really about your people. Yeah. I I literally myself just came back from an executive vision retreat in Atlanta. Our executive coach coaches Fortune 500 executives as well as small business executives. And he told us a very simple thing. He said, If you're a publicly traded company, your focus needs to be on your consumers. Mm. If you're a small to medium sized business, any business under 1,000 employees, your focus needs to be on your people Mm. and right now these business owners nail salons dry cleaners grocery stores restaurants they need to focus on their people they need to see what they can do to listen to their people's needs be a little more flexible i'm not saying that at a restaurant you can choose to work from home 40 hours a week that's not very viable yeah but a little bit of flex time um Got to pay a little more to be competitive because I hear even the fast food chains are starting to escalate their wages. And a little part of what we do at Universal Processing to help alleviate those challenges. Yeah. I know you mentioned your businesses, but what was the true beginning? What were the origins of your first business? And how did you get yourself off the ground? Even if you didn't succeed at that time, like yeah. what's the story behind that?
1: My first thing was... Uh I first started with my passion in music, so I started my music business, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I partnered up with a record producer, and I learned the ropes, and the idea of the partnership was to learn how to navigate through the industry. But that thing failed real quick because the music industry is extremely difficult. Oh, I know. I know from personal <laughs> experience. Yeah. Really difficult. And so I failed that, and then I picked myself back up, and I started my own new company called K-Vibe Productions, okay. and K-Vibe Productions used to be was They were like the MySpace it was a competitive, like a MySpace type of scenario where I, I was taking artists, mm-hmm. artists, songwriters, and producers, put them together so they could make music together. Okay. And I, and I would make a transaction fee for every, if they would, they would sell music together. Really? Like a social network yeah. for music That's artists. what that was. That's, that's exactly what that was. K-Vibe. I okay. did about maybe three to 4,000 members, but the problem during that time, that was like 2005 or something like that, the problem was that merchant services didn't mature yet. Yeah. I was getting a lot of frauds. Okay. And every fraud that happened, I was getting hit with 50 bucks per fraud. Okay. And I was getting hundreds of frauds per day at a certain point. Well,
0: you were getting chargeback fees and they were getting away with the money or it it, it, it was being
1: locked up in your account and they were they they were They were getting away with the product and I was getting hit with the fees. Yep. I had to shut it down because I couldn't afford it. And I I didn't know anything about investors or onboarding and I didn't know anything about that. And I didn't have the infrastructure for that. There's no AWS. You know, at yep. the time either. Of course, of course. And so I pivoted. I went to depression mode for a little bit. I spent, And then I moved into New York. And I went. I just created K-Bot to be a blogging website mm-hmm. where I just blogged about my experiences. And that's 2008. At the time, I was working a nine-to-five job. So I worked at Ernst & Young, EY. I was making my $50,000 a year salary just to stay afloat with things, support myself in paying rent in New York and continue to figure out how to pivot from that depressing uh failure I I thought so, I had. So
0: you started out with entrepreneurship then you took a corporate job. I have I've building. always I've
1: always had a corporate job since At out of time. college out of college. Oh really? I okay. did. Okay. And I all the money that I spent that I saved mm-hmm. I put it back right back to my music. Right in, back into, into, into your investments. Into, okay. So my thing was that I never went out to clubs, I don't party. I'm like a straight up geek. Buy my equipment. Really? That's all I did. Oh, man. That's all in I did. In the music, business, in the music no, business, no clubbing and no party. None of that. And I just tried You're
0: to. You're telling me I couldn't find you on the weekend at Sound Factory <laughs> in Manhattan after work? I'm that a... was the that was the spot in the late 90s. I, I'm an introvert.
1: Okay. I'm an introvert. Okay. I like to stay in my box and I like to make my music and, and I like to work with artists and I just stay in the box just working with them and making great music. And I let them be. The soundboard. Okay. <laughs> that's how I looked at it. Wow, but that's, then, that's fascinating.
0: I, I could have never figured that out.
1: Okay. And then you know I heard about the recession, but I didn't understand what recession meant. I worked a nine to five job and being with EY, they protected the employees a lot of times. Even though I heard about layoffs, but we didn't get laid off, and so I kept my job. And then in 2009, I got into the film industry because the new technology was the 5D Mark II. That was the camera, the DSLR camera stuff. And okay. I, and I, I said, whoa, this is the opportunity for me to make music videos. Really? Yeah, and then I sucked at it so bad. <laughs> but then I said, you know what, let me just learn how to do photography. Let me learn how to tell stories. And I made my first short film, uh, learned my photography really well. And then long story short, my connection in the music industry led me into uh, one of my friends that was a, the DJ for 103.5. Oh. DJ Valentino. he said that he okay. was in the wedding industry he said he asked me if i wanted to shoot weddings and at the time i said no because I, i'm trying to do this thing you asked me to do I, i'm not buying you my not asked a job. somebody weddings are very very lucrative <laughs> very very lucrative i didn't know that okay but well I you said, learn later right i learned later <laughs> i said i said fine i just do it how much is it 750 bucks to do the edit to the shoot to do everything that was my thing and i thought that was a lot of money for me, okay. now, coming from a nine to five job. And I said, oh, let me do it. And then I saw all the problems in the wedding industry. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, this is a good opportunity to, if I was to get into this industry. And lo and behold, I got into it, went from doing, we created live picture studios. We did 12 weddings a year. The following year, we did a hundred weddings. And then each, every single year, we went to from 100, 200, 300, 400 year, weddings a year. And I said, this was gonna be the way to build the infrastructure For my long term goals that I was talking about earlier. So
0: 12 to 500. Did you see that the market had that level of demand? No, I didn't. So, so how did you explore scalability? Are you just. Bump your head against the wall and you said, hey, look, we did 12. Next year, we got to do 100. How did you go from 12 to 100? I was
1: part of an incubator program. SBA, SBDC, incubator. Oh, really? It was that. Okay. So you Uh, did
0: find some government-adjacent resources, Yeah,
1: But I didn't know it was funded by the government at the time, right? Okay. So how did you stumble upon that? I was just looking for rent. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I met Ryan Silvestri, and he says... You know what? Well, there's an incubator program. You could pay your rent for five hundred bucks, no four hundred dollars, four fifty a month, and then you have the kitchen. You have everything you want. And so from there, I, I had all these, I guess, other incubators. Okay. Inside the program, and I met this guy named Jim, and he goes, and I was selling my wedding package like everyone else was doing, selling for eight, nine thousand dollar packages that nobody was really buying, and I thought this the product was not good or something like that he says, Kua, your product is actually really good. But what you need to do is drop your price down to be cheaper than the industry price. Okay. And then deliver more value for everybody else than you could actually, people will buy from you. And he was absolutely right. So I dropped it from $9,000, $8,000 package to a $2,000 package. Wow. That's aggressive. You had to hustle. Aggressive. I hustled it. And yep. so, and I just said, you know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to break even. And I'm just it maybe lose a little bit, but then just trying to gain some traction out of that. And it did. And then a $2,000 package ended up becoming a $4,000 package because they wanted more. They wanted more out of you it. You could
0: upsell. They up- saw upsell your Upsell everything. They saw you were willing to sacrifice.
1: You were competing on price. 100%. That, that sounds – And that's how the wedding industry – and then the wedding industry is based on referrals a lot. word of mouth mouth, it was all word of mouth they said wow you did my sister's wedding you did my sister you know you did my brother's wedding and my cousin's wedding and all of a sudden it's like oh my god i'm doing twenty thousand dollar deals on a weekend Mm -hmm. you know like i'm booking four or five clients one after another
0: you and your personnel are probably at the weddings
1: doing (laughs) your thing
0: and giving away business cards hey
1: can i get a card my cousin's gonna get married
0: in six months Hey, you guys do a great job. You guys are very respectful. You guys are,
1: you know, clean cut. Right. And then I found a marketplace to help us advertise a little bit more, which was the knot at the time. And uh, that brought in a lot of inquiries as well. And then the price point was always constantly changing. So we had to make sure that, you know, I couldn't stay at $2,000 the whole time. So I had to make sure that I'm building up packages. But here's the other thing. Finding workers to do the job was really tough, too. Okay. So I had to balance it out between, okay, how do I build loyalty with the crew that in the wedding world, they all it's a lot of 1099 workers. Oh, I get it. Contractors. They're, well, they're contractors. here today. They're gone tomorrow. They're, they just exactly. want quick money. They just want a project.
0: Exactly. Let me get paid.
1: Let me pay my bills and then move on and to then, my next So day. the question was, yeah. how do I fix that? And so the way I fixed it was, well, I want to give you, provide your weekly jobs consistently. So, and then here's the vision. The vision is that we're going to build sustainable opportunities for you guys. Here's how I'm going to prove it. I bought a van. You, those guys, you didn't drive a car. I bought a van so they could, and I, I bought all the equipment, and then I don't charge them rent. And I would just give it to them. Let them use it so they could build a business up. Really? They weren't my employees either, but they were my contractors. Okay. And then I let them build their own wealth. I built their own thing. But then still today, nine years later, they're still working with me. Wow. Because what, what happened was that, one of the contractors that came from nothing. He started for each job he saved up. And then he was able to buy his car, saved up, and then built a restaurant business in New York City for $1.5 million a year business now. Wow. And still today, he still works for us in the wedding industry. Really? He still does. And I, I have That's a dedication. I, I have a feeling he does that because he felt like this was you know, he came from this area. He came from this. And he doesn't work aggressive like he used to do, but he still works with us and he works really hard with us. I think he owes it to that. He found an infrastructure that could help him build, just like I did. I found infra- like the incubator. Yeah, I found some peers that gave me some little advice to make some changes. And those little changes really sparked Live Picture Studios. And from there... Um, yeah, I know what we did was working because I had this guy, his name was Ely. He moved to Germany, mm-hmm. but he interned for me for a year without being paid because really? he knew that I was working a nine to five job. I would go back to the office and then I would grind to four o'clock in the morning and he would intern with me from do the morning shift. Wow. Work at light, and he said, but he was getting paid, he was getting allowances from his mom. Okay. And he said, Quad, don't pay me. I just want to help you out. And I wow. said, Why? And he goes, just, just say that as a gift. He believed in you. He believed in me. And yeah. then, and then when it was time for me to make give it to back to him, mm-hmm. he said, Qua moving to Germany." Okay. I says, "You want?" I said, "Nope. I did my job. I helped you get you on your feet, and um, now go make go change the world." He said. Okay. To me. And then he says, and he helped me with everything, with like films and everything else. And I remember one time, this I will never forget. He goes, "We were grinding so much doing the film work, the the job." He mm-hmm. goes. And I wasn't taking care of him because he was so grinding. I was not looking I was looking out for the films, but I forgot to look out for him. He says, Qua, you need to look out for me. He said, really? what about me? Look out for me. I'm the one that's helping you out. I said, you're right. My bad. And then I just make sure I give it back to them. You know what? It was all about, he reminded me real quick.
0: This was Ellie? E-
1: e- Elia. Elia. He reminded me real quick that this was the reason why all this happened was because someone believed in me. And then I almost forgot to give it back to him because I was so incorporated into the work. And that was always a trigger for me saying that, you know what, this would never happen without that. So I had to make sure that I had to find a really good balance between that.
0: Absolutely. So, this is, it's really interesting. It yeah. kind of reminds me of one of the lessons that I learn again and again in yeah. running multiple businesses. Yeah. It's that you should never forget where you came exactly from the first vibe. thing you mentioned was the incubator yep. you got help from the sbdc and then you remember the people that sacrificed alongside you 100%. like elia who said hey i'm believing in you yep. and then maybe once in a while we're all fallible we're all human yeah. they remind you
1: hey yeah. you got to worry right. about me you got to look out for me as well and i, I know, you know i took this into the pandemic right because let's fast forward 2020 massive struggle for most businesses or more, almost all businesses and I remember crying during a meeting and because it was just heartbreaking because I had to lay off maybe five employees because I just couldn't sustain it. But I knew I was gonna bring them back at least contractors. So well, but then the rest of the team, I remember I said, Look, this is what we're gonna to have to do. I don't wanna lay off anybody else. So what we're gonna do is do you all agree that we're gonna take a thirty percent cut from the salary? Better for all of us to suffer than one person to suffer alone. That's how oh, I No, I hear that. that. Yep. And so they all agreed. I said, this is what we're gonna have to happen. We're gonna have to change our hats up. We're gonna have all the jobs that you thought you had, just wipe that out of your head. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to repivot and just restructure your jobs, You know what we're doing. And I think the team said, okay, qua, no pushback at all. And I think that was the reason why we even survived the pandemic was because the people in the company said, I'm on board. With the vision i'm on board with everything that you're about and we're going to work really hard to make this thing work we're going to all survive together and i think i remember i said like okay june is a pivotal moment to create these projects july is the execution and then august is to sustain it if we don't do this right we're going to lose the whole entire business and look we're 2022 and i say we're launching our third business at the moment i always said we're were wealthy, mm-hmm. but and I would say that all the salaries been restored, people had been got their raises, you know what they needed. They worked so hard during the pandemic, and I myself, what I did was I didn't take a salary for twelve months. I didn't okay. tell anybody that. What I did, was I survived off credit cards, rewards. <laughs> yep, the points that you accumulated, right? I survived the off of my my wife's cash based business that was she paid for daycare. And I just did everything I can to just scrape out where I could get. But all the money that I went to went all to the employees. But I would never tell them because I didn't want to discourage anybody that why is the CEO not getting paid? And I yeah, said, Yeah, it, it you know, impacts impact individuals' morally, morale, morale. For sure. So I didn't say sure. that. But now I, I still don't get, I, I mean, I look, I, I I always reinvest back into the business. So I, I still don't look at myself getting paid that much. Mm-hmm. But it's enough for me to run an infrastructure and set ourselves for major success. Yeah. And that's, to me, when anyone struggles, you have to think about the people. You can't be just being to think about yourself. That's the f- quickest way to f- failing a business. To just opinion. think
0: about yourself, worry about yourself. And exactly. even in my industry, the financial technology industry, mm-hmm. I've got a, a similar experience there. But early on in the pandemic, the individuals, the CEOs who had established businesses for 20 or 30 years... Mm-hmm. They were like, you know, screw this, I'm going to my vacation house, I'm going on my boat, yeah. I'm gonna hide it out. And you know, their employees didn't stay. Yeah. They probably terminated 25, 50, 75%, 100% of their workforce. That's right. And they're like, let me look out for me, I got a family. Yeah. It's like, everybody's got a they're family, family too. Every, yeah. I got a family too. Yeah. But these people have families, family my too. employees have families. Yep. And we rallied together, same thing, myself, my shareholders, my executive team, we did not take a salary for minimum of six months. Mm. And then all of our team, our employees, they some of them opted out. They're like, oh, I'm already financially independent, come from a, a wealthy oh, family great. in Asia. They, they a some, of culture. Yes, awesome. some of them were like, hey, just don't even, let me take a leave of, voluntary leave of absence. And then the rest, they're like, hey, we know we're not actually producing. So what do you want? 50%, 40%. We settled at 25% pay cut so that they could work from home. Mm. And then later on, we didn't know how to because we were a face to we still are a face to face consultancy. Mm -hmm. They weren't actually effective doing any sales work working from home. So we redeployed Mm -hmm. and pivoted them. But funny enough, there were 19 non equity holding volunteers that volunteered to come back to work to work as essential workers. And we called them our COVID-19. Wow. And these 19, I think we've, we lost two or three of them because two of them decided to go to school. One of them started their own business, but my executive team and 16 of them are going to an all expense paid trip to Alaska in December on the company to to thank them for the sacrifice. That's awesome. But yeah, you had people that sacrificed alongside you. They didn't whine. They didn't complain. No No. allowed. Just, you know, this is what we have to do. And there's
1: no book or... YouTube that- There's no playbook. There's no there playbook was no for this. precedent. This it's, is... it's not like we were looking at 1910 and, it, and, and, and the, come, the great it, flu or, yeah. And, and it comes down to life experiences. That's why I said like you can't, like, emerging entrepreneurship, you mm-hmm. got to learn the human aspect of how to treat people right, how do you think about the business, and think about the purpose the long-term. Why do you have a business in the first place? It's the right thing to do, and it's extremely fulfilling, too, when you do help people out. And then at the end of the day, we got to think about the long-term and the long term requires people to run it long. For sure, it's definitely about people.
0: Like I said, about Mm -hmm. small businesses, even in my executive retreat, if you're running a small business, if you're running any business under 1,000 employees, it's about your people. It's about how you treat your people, how they treat you in return, how they reciprocate. And speaking of helping people, since we're running a little short on time, we want to always finish these podcasts with some advice. Qua, what advice could you provide to a listener out there either trying to
1: start their first business or trying to build their next business? I always lead with make sure you have a purpose to why you're starting the business in the first place. I would say it's if you're just trying to do it just to make money for why do you need to make the money? <laughs> okay. Yep. Why do you need to make seven figures? Why do you need to make this type of money? Ask those questions first. There's nothing wrong with making money, but you need to have a reason why you want to make that much money. Are you trying to give it back to charity? What, well, you need to buy that new car? Why mm-hmm. do you need to buy that new shiny car for yourself, right? Just so ask So what's, what's the purpose
0: yeah, you of need to the have business. What's your motivation?
1: 100%. You, know, you need to have that motivation because then you could drive your strategies and drive all your ideas and build an infrastructure that surrounds that purpose. If okay. You, that, that's how I look at it, and that's how I did it with me. And if I didn't have a purpose to why I do what I do, I mean, I wouldn't be in the entertainment business. I wouldn't start these multi businesses, and I would I could care less about employees. You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. know. So my purpose was about people, and my purpose was about creating freedom, financial freedom, creating sustainability for employees and out people outside the employee that understand. That wants to learn how to build businesses. And hopefully in the next 100 years from now, with my grand, great-great-grandkids are around, they have some sort of foundation that allows them to sustain themselves. And hopefully we had laid out 0.5% of the groundwork <laughs> yep, yep. out there.
0: Yeah, you know? so going back to what you said at the very beginning, it's great, it's fascinating. It, it was great learning about you. I hope the Thank viewers you. liked it. And hopefully we can hear from our business owners nationwide because we'd love to hear your stories thank you so much for tuning in this has been navigating business and qua thank you once again thank, for you. Th- thank you for thank you for having interview.
1: me. thank you for having me